1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick, and it's Saturday,
0: time for a Vault episode. This is our episode on subterrenes. It originally aired June 4th, 2020. Uh, I say let's uh, dig right in.
1: I recall, as it were but yesterday, the night of that momentous occasion upon which we were to test the practicality of that wondrous invention. It was near midnight when we repaired to the lofty tower in which Perry had constructed his iron mold, as he was wont to call the thing. The great nose rested upon the bare earth of the floor. We passed through the doors into the outer jacket, secured them, and then passing on into the cabin, which contained the controlling mechanism within the inner tube switched on the electric lights. Perry looked to his generator, to the great tanks that held the life-giving chemicals with which he was to manufacture fresh air to replace that which we consumed in breathing, to his instruments for recording temperature, speed, distance, and for examining the materials through which we were to pass.
0: He tested his steering device and overlooked the mighty cogs which transmitted its marvelous velocity to the giant drill at the nose of his strange craft. Our seats, into which we strapped ourselves, were so arranged upon transverse bars that we would be upright, whether the craft were plowing her way downward into the bowels of the earth, or running horizontally along some great seam of coal, or rising vertically toward the surface again. At length all was ready. Perry bowed his head in prayer. For a moment we were silent, and then the old man's hand grasped the starting lever. There was a frightful roaring beneath us. The giant frame trembled and vibrated. There was a rush of sound as the loose earth passed up through the hollow space between the inner and outer jackets to be deposited in our wake. And we were off.
2: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And that was, uh, that little cold reading there was from At the Earth's Core by Edgar Rice Burroughs, published in 1914. Is that the one where uh, Tarzan goes to the center of the earth? No, and I know you're joking, but Tarzan does go to the center of the earth in a follow-up novel (laughs) to this particular novel. Because this was, uh, this this kick-started a series that dealt with uh, essentially like an inner world, a hollow earth environment um uh, this was the um the pelucidar series uh yeah so tarzan i think goes to pelucidar in a follow-up and then we'll 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 talk more about pelucidar uh here in a in a few minutes but uh the the reason that we are we're we're, really kicked off with this reading is that this is this is pivotal this is uh this what is being described here the iron mole is a subterranean
0: Right, so that was not a mistake. You weren't trying to say submarine, that is a subterranean, as in beneath the earth, as a, in yes. the same way that a submarine is beneath the ocean. So yes. what we're talking about today is a submarine for the ground.
1: Yes, like submarines, but underground. Some sort of vehicle uh, that has some sort of drilling or melting apparatus um, uh, on its front end, or perhaps on the, the, the rear end as well, that enables it to travel through the earth, to, so to burn through even solid rock as if it were some sort of giant worm making its way through the ground. Now, you might not have heard of a subterranean before, uh, but I bet you have seen one in science fiction. Uh, so before we dive into the, the science and the actual and in, in, in some cases alleged technological history of the subterranean, I thought we might run through some fun examples from film and TV. And then we'll also come back around to Edgar Rice Burroughs again before we venture into the, the real world. Now, Robert, right when I jumped in the uh, video chat today, you and Seth were talking
0: about the like 70,000 episodes of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated TV series. And immediately it came to mind like, oh, yes, didn't Shredder, was it Shredder or was it Krang, one of the villains rides around in a giant underground drill in that show?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I was was chatting with Seth about this because I'm not sure if it was the first time I saw uh, a sci-fi vision of a subterranean, Uh but I have a very clear memory of those, um, uh, but I believe it was the especially the 1989 arcade beat-em-up teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, what, it's it was a good probably a, a Konami, right? Maybe it was Konami. Maybe. At any rate, I remember the arcade version was a lot better than the port to the NES. Oh, yeah, yeah. The arcade version was, was really kind of beautiful, and I've seen some more recent ports of it uh, that, that, you know, really it really felt all right, you know. I mean, it was a total quarter guzzler. It was just how many mm-hmm. how many quarters can you put into this machine at your local Pizza Hut uh, in order right. to beat it? But it was it was so much fun. And uh, and one of the things was that frequently the boss at the end of the level would arrive via a transport module, this thing that looked like a rocket, except the cone of the rocket is a big drill, and it comes burrowing up through the, the Earth, and then it opens up, and here's the bad guy for you right. to fight.
0: Here's Bebop the 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 Punk bore.
1: Yeah. Uh, or yeah, or it's Shredder, or it's Krang himself. And they're coming up the idea is that of course Krang's lair is the subterranean techno-dome, this big uh, you know, domed vehicle base that is often like in the molten core of the earth. Uh, and they have to send up their uh, their myrmidons, their their foot soldiers up to the, the surface in these specialized subterranes. Wait and they, they. Sorry,
0: oh, is it the Techno
1: Dome or the Techno Drome? I always thought it was like the like Videodrome. Oh, we have just received uh, an update from Seth. It is in fact Technodrome. Um- <laughs> Which can be a little confusing. I think I trans uh, figured it in my head because it is a a, um, a like a, a spherical looking um, structure. It had it looks kind of like a dome. Yeah. Uh, it is a technodrome. Whatever that is actually supposed to mean. Like,
0: you would imagine that the interior has a domed ceiling, perhaps painted by Michelangelo or something. Is you yes, know, but, it's, but it's
1: a picture of of Krang and Shredder uh, about <laughs> to, to have this divine touch. Right?
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah, Krang reaching out. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So uh, the, the, the series, which, uh, which certainly Seth can attest to, and, and I have memories of, uh, was a lot of fun and had these vehicles in there as well. There was even a toy version of it. Uh, I included a picture of this for you, Joe. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this or not from uh, your, the toys of your childhood, but it is a more ornate version of the submarine from the cartoon.
0: I remember it, but I didn't have it. This was an object of coveting for me.
1: Ah, yeah. I, I remember, for me personally, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the cartoon, and just the overall like sensation of the toys and all, it came around at this weird time where I still very much, I certainly watched all these shows, and I wanted to have the figures. I wanted to have these action figures, especially Shredder and Krang, but there was this kind of feeling at that point that you weren't supposed to have toys anymore, like you weren't no. supposed to Enjoy this stuff, uh, which is total uh, BS. And I'm thankfully snapped out of that, and have spent the rest of my, you know, adult life, um, you know, realizing that uh, action figures are awesome, and uh, and I should buy them for myself or my child. Uh, It's it's that horrible middle period. I mean, it's just like with
0: movies too. It's like how Roger Ebert talks about how you know when you're a little kid, Gamora is great because it's a rocket-powered turtle, and then Mm -hmm. you get older and more mature, and you think this is stupid because it's not realistic. And then you get even more mature than that, and then you realize Gamera is great
1: again. Yes, and Gamera is great. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, I, and I will say that you look back at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it had so many crazy just gonzo elements in it. Uh, it. It was fabulous. I mean, you had this armored ninja, and he's with there with an alien brain that's in this giant android body. And they're sending ninjas up to the surface in these crazy drill submarines to fight Uh, You know, obviously Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is in itself such a strange concept. So that was one subterranean that I think a lot of people probably remember. Older viewers or certainly viewers who caught this show like on Sci-Fi Channel in reruns might remember the Thunderbirds, you know, like Thunderbirds or Go. Well, the, uh, this was a 1960s puppet show with these very signature looking characters um, that I understand. I, w- I was reading that they were pa- partially inspiration for the animation style on the long running uh, Star Wars Clone Wars-, Wars series that I'm watching now with my son. Hmm. Um, But uh, in this uh, 1960s uh, show, the characters had these crazy vehicles, and uh, one of them was the Thunderbird 2, and it featured all these different pods, and one of them was called the Mole, and it was a drill-headed vehicle that enabled the team to venture into the Earth.
0: Now, this establishes a theme that's going to continue throughout the episode, which is that there is a lack of imagination among the people who, who create under, underground drilling machines for science fiction, because it's always a mole. It's always a darn mole. <laughs> like, wh- why can't you think of some kind of other burrowing creature? Why isn't it a Sicilian or, uh, or something like that? You know, uh, I mean, come on. How many moles can there be? Or
1: even a naked mole rat? That's close enough. Yeah, there's there's so many other ways to go, but everyone. comes back to the mole and and that also includes pixar uh Mm -hmm. because i know a number of certainly if you're you're too young to remember teenage mutant ninja turtles or or certainly thunderbirds then perhaps you remember the incredibles at the very end of this film we're introduced to a new supervillain called the underminer who arrives in an epic um uh, an, an epic uh, subterranean with a drill. This time on either end. Uh, it, it's a, a fun scene, just kind of like a way to close out the the, the film. Well, he's um, a bigger character in the sequel. Have you seen the? That's right. Yeah, I have. Yeah. I have seen the sequel. Uh, yeah, he he plays a larger role in that. But one. he's also mole themed. Clearly, yes, yes, clearly mole themed. Um, Let's see. Oh, and, and this is so weird. We were we kind of decided to do this episode, and I had it in my mind. And then I happened to check out uh, this new series on Hulu uh, titled "Solar Opposites." It's a it's a new show from Rick and Morty co creator Justin uh, Roiland, uh, along with Mike uh, McMahon, who also worked on that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they dropped the entire first season on Hulu, and it's 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 a lot of fun. It's it's definitely for grown-ups, uh, but it's the, you know, a similar vibe to Rick and Morty, but perhaps a, a little less meta and um, with characters that are a little more likable. Um, <laughs> but uh, I started watching it, and bam, right there in the opening of the first uh, episode, there's this vehicle called the Earth Drill that's used by the character Corvo to obtain nickel alloy from the Earth's core in order to try and fix his spaceship. And there's this great sequence where Corvo you know, fires it up and starts drilling into the Earth to go get the nickel, and it started, immediately causes earthquakes in, like, uh, China and London, and there's a big tidal wave somewhere else in the world due to the seismic disruption of the thing.
0: Uh, I like that the design
1: is a little bit Tron-shaped.
0: It's a little bit light cycle kind of in profile at
1: least. Yeah, it's a really cool design. Uh, like, they, they didn't just, uh, you know, slap together something that looked like the, like the, the, the transport module all over again. It, it, has, it has some really cool wheels. But anyway, uh, these are just a few examples. You'll find subterrines all over the place in science fiction if you really start looking for them. Uh, like it, It'll just turn up eventually, I think, in any kind of science fiction scenario. Mm-hmm. For instance, there's one in Fallout 76, the current uh, Fallout game. Uh, I looked around. I was like, there's got to be one in Star Wars somewhere. And it looks like there is a combat drill in the Darth Vader comic books. Like Darth <laughs> Vader rides one into battle at some point. Uh, um, like an AT drillty yeah 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 that would a t drill T. I like that um yeah Because I figured in star wars universe there's room for there's certainly room for a subterrane there's some rocky planet somewhere where there's a battle between uh you know the the empire and um uh, you know some uh, hapless uh species of uh subterranean creature,
0: but I feel like we gotta bring it back to the Edgar ice Burroughs because I will admit uh, so I have never read this book at earth's core uh, his his novel about the the drill that goes down and uh I don't know actually i guess Timing-wise, this would be coming after Jules Verne's journey to the center of the Earth. So I don't know how derivative of it it is. Um, But I did manage to watch... About the first twenty minutes of the nineteen seventy six film adaptation of this book last night, starring our old friend Doug McClure. You know the man. Yes. Uh, Hi, I'm Doug McClure. You might remember me from such films as that one with the fish people, and <laughs> then it also had Peter Cushing in probably definitely not even no doubt at all the gooberiest role I've ever seen Peter Cushing in, where he is just like a
1: bumbling doofus with a high pitched uh, uh, car tune professor voice yeah this was this was a 1976 adaptation directed by kevin connor and, um, yeah, you might expect, like, Doug with Doug McClure and Peter Cushing, you might think, okay, Doug's going to play kind of the meaty doofus, right. uh, which he did so well. I mean, Doug McClure's awesome. He's a, he's a treat. When you see his name pop up in one of these older films, you know, you're, you, you've got a, a nice uh, film ahead of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Peter Cushing, you think, especially, all right, we're thinking 76, we're thinking Star Wars is just after this, practically. And, yeah. you know, you think the dignified, stoic Peter Cushing, he's going to play, play this dignified scientist to to invent this thing but no he plays this goofy doofus character as well uh and it's great I mean Cushing is 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 wonderful he has he has range so I guess in a way it's it's nice to see him flex his his acting muscles in another direction I mean it's an unfamiliar
0: setup normally I think you'd have more like uh you know the doofus and the straight man but it's like a dual
1: doofus lead yeah yeah and then you have uh, Carolyn Monroe in there as well uh, a, a screen legend uh, in her own right yeah she played Stella Star in Star Crash yeah, uh, she was in. I think she was in a James Bond film. Yeah, Spy Who Loved um, Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in numerous other, uh, she was very, very much an icon uh, of of the day. Hi, I'm Doug McClure, and I didn't get a haircut before filming this. Oh yeah, he's pretty shaggy
0: in this. <laughs> yeah, it looks, and it doesn't even look like it's intentional. It looks like he just, you know, was meaning to get it trimmed and he didn't.
1: Yeah. Uh, now, a, a lot of people were, I think, were reintroduced to the film or introduced to it to the, for the first time via the most recent season of Mystery Science Theater 3000 that aired on Netflix uh, because yeah, this is one of the films that they riff. And it's uh, I remember it as being one of the, the best episodes of the, the MST3K revival. But the film in and of itself is just is tons of fun. It's colorful. It's, it's weird and wacky. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I feel like even though I haven't read this particular example, Rice Burroughs novel. It does feel true to the spirit of them uh, because there, there, are, there are a number of cool things going on in, in this. First of all, we do have the Iron Mole. We have a drill-headed subterranean vehicle that takes our characters deep into the Earth, and it takes us to this uh, hollow Earth realm called Pelucidar. And in uh, here, we have a number of crazy elements uh, taking place as well because we have uh, a species of telepathic pterosaurs called the Mahars that rule over Stone Age humans humans that are also there there's also like a giant
0: bipedal bird tyrannosaurus rex thing looks kind of like sam the eagle yeah and it runs around chasing doug and peter cushing in this giant underground cornfield i I don't know if that's in the
1: book (laughs) yeah i don't know i'd love to hear from someone who uh, who's who's read this one like i say i've read a couple of burroughs books um uh, back in the day and I remember them as being pretty fun you know he gets into a little bit of scientific speculation uh, while also getting into lots of you know swashbuckling style action but then occasionally like some really atmospheric uh, you, know, most, you know kind of like pulp horror moments as well mm-hmm. uh, so uh, yeah and of course he, he wrote a, a ton of books this was this one just kicked off a mini series that he did dealing with this inner world he created uh, and, and he, was, he was a highly influential fiction writer of the time so it seems to me it's possible that he might be the originator of our like popular culture and to a certain extent scientific obsession with subterrenes in especially in the 20th century so i was looking around to see if there were any hard bio, biographical details on where burroughs got the idea for the iron mole um, because it seems like he, he might have been the first. I don't know for sure. It's, you know, it's very possible that there are some other short stories from the time period or some book I'm missing in which a character introduces the idea of a, of a Uh but I, I wasn't able to come across it myself. Uh, let me know if you, if you have an answer to that. Now, certainly Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth came out earlier in 1864, but this uh, book does not feature a fantastic drilling vehicle. No, they just, uh, they just find a hole in the earth and just kind of walk all the way down. It's more of a spelunking adventure. They travel down via lava tubes, I think. Yeah. So I ended up consulting, I think, three different Burroughs biographies in search of any answers on, you know, where he got his ideas. Some just little nugget of like, hey, he was reading in Popular Mechanics or something, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but nothing turned up. So it seems entirely possible that Burroughs might have invented the sci-fi subterranean as we know it. And in doing so, as is often the nature of sci-fi, influenced scientific minds uh, all of that century to uh, investigate the idea further. Um, however, uh, even if he invented the, the sci-fi subterrane in his own right, he was definitely inspired by technological achievements in tunneling and burrowing uh, that, had take, that were taking place at the time and had taken place uh, towards the end of the previous century.
0: Well, maybe we should take a quick break, and then when we come back, we can talk about some of the real science and technology uh, of burrowing vehicles.
1: Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and Go today. A S T E P R O allergy.com. Astapro and Go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new hyundai santa fe visit hyundaiusa.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details hyundai there's joy in every journey all right we're back so uh like i was
1: i was saying here earlier uh I think would would have definitely been inspired by the real-life advances in tunnel boring machines during the 19th century. Uh, Tunneling shield technology came first, successfully used for the first time to excavate uh, the Thames Tunnel beginning in 1825. But this is, just as the name implies, a protective structure that allows human excavators to work underground. It's not even a machine.
0: Right. So describe briefly the the tunneling shield. This is basically kind of like a movable roof shield that you can take with you as you continually remove new material from as the tunnel is made.
1: Yeah, I would say combine that with the concept of, say, a drilling template, and that's pretty much what you have. Okay. Okay. But then this leads into some of the first tunnel-boring machines. Uh, and what is often brought up as the first tunnel-boring machine, though it's a real stretch to call it a vehicle, uh, came in 1845 with the Mountain Slicer. Is that really what it was called? Yeah, it was called the Mountain Slicer. Whoa. Uh, it was not named, it wasn't called a mole at all. Again, again, it wasn't a vehicle really, but it was commissioned by the king of Sardinia in 1845 to dig the French rail tunnel between France and Italy through the Alps. Whoa. And it was the work of Belgian engineer uh, Henry Joseph uh, Mauss. And this was the first, uh, this is often considered the first tunnel boring machine, or TBM. It consisted of more than 100 percussion drills mounted at the front of a locomotive-sized machine, which was mechanically power-driven at the entrance to the tunnel. So think about what kind of a, of an engineering project it is
0: to do something like this, especially to have a single machine, because tunneling is you know it's not just like moving through water which kind of like is is easily displaced around you as you dive through it of course when you're tunneling through hard material one of the big problems you're going to have is continually removing everything that you're drilling out of
1: place in front of you as you go right and then if we're thinking of say we keep talking about the mole as the bio biological uh analog for all of this well When you're talking about the ocean, right, you're talking about ships and uh, submarines basically doing the things that other organisms, even large organisms, are capable of doing. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about, you know, you're not just talking about burrowing through loose soil here. We're talking about. Burrowing through solid rock which right. is is not something that is generally considered within the realm of um, of, of certainly a, a, you know a vertebrates capabilities or, or or any kind of you know or organisms capabilities this is this is something new well certainly
0: not at any speed that would be useful from like a civil engineering point of view
1: yeah. right um, so uh, I, I want to talk just a little bit more about the, the idea of the tunnel boring machine or TBM there, there's tons of, of uh, information out there written about TBMs because this is a, this is a huge area of, of engineering, right? Figuring out how to you know, improve these machines for the production of tunnels. Uh, one particular definition I came across in uh, Laboratory Testing of Materials for, for Tunnel Boring Machine Drag Bits by uh, Katushin et al. Uh, defines a TBM as a, quote, machine used to excavate tunnels with a circular cross-section through a variety of soil and rock strata. So that's something to keep in mind, too, is when you're dealing with tunnels, you're dealing with boring through not just one type of rock or soil, but multiple.
0: Yeah, and I I think it's important that it mentions the circularity of the tunnel because this is a feature that – this will actually come up again later in the episode when we talk about different methods for producing uh, whole uh, tunnels in rock. The the Mm -hmm. drill-based method, which is based on grinding and removing material, tends to be by nature circular, right, just because of the limitations of the kind of machine you have to use
1: to drill Mm -hmm. and bore out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another source on the mountain slicer I, I was looking at in hard rock tunnel boring machines by, um, uh, Madel, uh, Schmidt and Ritz. The authors describe the mountain slicer as having quote, worked with hammer drills, chiseling deep annular grooves in the stone, dividing the face into four two by 0.5 meter high stone blocks. Now, the interesting thing here is that supposedly the mountain slicer successfully demonstrated there was a successful demonstration of this technology in a test tunnel for something like two years, but it was ultimately not used for the Alpine project in question due to doubts about the drive equipment and its power requirements and its ability to sustain the wear of its usage. So they ended up just using traditional tunneling, tunnel boring techniques instead. But I think this this drives home like just the real the, the true engineering challenge. Here, you know, it, it, it's quite a feat to even create a what seems to be you know, a working prototype like the mountain slicer. But then it's quite another to actually use it and use it and use it for the extended period of time required to actually complete the project.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we should emphasize again that when we're talking about these types of boring machines like the Mountain Slicer, this would, again, not be a vehicle designed right. to just like autonomously run around under the ground. This would be a stationary like in-situ
1: machine that's for a particular project. Right. Yeah. And and certainly is not working in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, this uh, so is like I say, you could, you could see the Mountain Slicer as a potential first for TBMs, but a lot of people give credit to American designer Charles Wilson, who designed a TBM in 1851, patented in 1856. Uh, it was called Wilson's Patented Stone-Cutting Machine. <laughs> which doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't have as much, it doesn't sound as, uh, uh, you know, as, as Wagner-y as that uh, previous one. Yeah, you should but, have
0: called uh, it, what, uh, uh, Wilson's
1: Rock Stabber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Wilson's patented stone-cutting machine. Uh, and, and it was successful. They used it to bore the um, Husick the Tunnel in uh, northwest Massachusetts, and it had rota- a rotating mount. For the disc cutters at the front of it, now there 's obviously a lot more to the science and, and subsequent development of TBMs, but I thought we might cut to, to the chase here. I, I think we can already <laughs> see how yeah mount we 're going to mountain cut to the chase even I think we can already see how how even their early forms help inspire the idea of a subterranean. but even considering the more modern uh, forms of the TBM. You know, you have to ask, how close does the idea of a subterranean really get to a TBM? So we have to consider the facts. So first of all, uh, as, as we mentioned already, generally speaking, a TBM, and there are different varieties of TBM for different types of rock, it is a tool, not a vehicle. It is, a, you know, it's a piece of, of equipment. It's used to make a tunnel, not to simply tunnel from one place to another. I suppose you can say it does both, but the tunnel making is the key focus, Plus, it's part of a system and an overall project that entails workers, specialized trucks to haul away the rock, etc. Uh, you're not going to hijack one of these things and bore a rogue tunnel with it. Also, TBMs are in general, neither independent nor truly mobile. And this is important too. They are certainly not fast.
0: Yeah. Now, I think uh, another thing is that a lot of these are going to be in in some kind of way not exactly like a train but sort of on rails like in a way they Mm -hmm. they will have uh, infrastructure that is supporting the forward movement of the vehicle and it's not just like rolling
1: ahead on its own right it is a thing you move up or you have at the front of your tunnel boring project yeah now, um, one of the, the more exciting players in uh, the realm of, of, um, of TBMs these days is none other than Elon Musk. Okie doke. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Joe, but he founded The Boring Company in 2016. I was trying to read about it,
0: but I, I just fell asleep. You just...
1: <laughs> um, oh, yeah,
0: God, they that really is the it. worst joke I've ever made on the show. Hey, let's cut it. No, let's leave it. I Let me deal with the shame.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, you can laugh at uh, Elon Musk's jokes. Um, it, it's, it's it's clever. They really commit to it. Um, if you, you can look up the website and you can see that there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek there. But mm-hmm. but it is a real project and they, it looks like they're making a lot of um, exciting progress here. So part of the, the whole idea of the boring company is that they want to um, they want to see tunnel usage being a huge part of our sustainable future like in terms of of creating more sustainable infrastructure it's better to get as much of it underground as possible and then this has been a trend in futurism um for a while. This isn't, uh, in and in, in of itself, anything new, uh, but these are some of the reasons that they cite uh, for investing uh, uh, in the improvement of TBM technology. First of all, there's no practical limit to how many layers of tunnels can be built, so any level of traffic can then be addressed through these tunnels. Mm-hmm. Tunnels are weatherproof. Tunnel uh, construction and operation is ultimately silent and invisible to anyone on the surface, and this is not uh, something that I, I saw them touch on, but certainly is a part of the the larger sort of futurism design focus of underground systems is, of course, if you put your highways underground, then you can have uh, more like trees on top, you know, right. you can have a, some sort of a return to nature. Uh, you can take the you can give back the land that are the, that the, so, you know, our highways and streets have stolen. But to do all this, you've got to make tunnels. And the thing is, tunnels w- are expensive to bore. Uh, the, the price that they quote in their materials is one billion dollars per mile. And, and then it's a slow process on top of that. In fact, Musk uh, uh, joked that a snail travels 14 times faster than a traditional TBM. <laughs> and uh, as such, they did this whole bit where they, they, they said they had this pet snail named Gary, and their goal was to beat Gary in a foot race uh, with their TBM. So in order to do that, um, the the company stresses the importance of increasing TBM power output, uh, making TBMs uh, capable of continuous tunneling without breaks for support structure building, as is currently the norm. Uh, Also, the importance of making TBMs autonomous and also creating a system by which the excavated rock is then made into bricks on site or perhaps even within the TBM itself uh, for use in the support structure. Oh, and that's another thing I should probably uh, describe what these TBMs and sort of all modern TBMs look like. They Mm. look like um, they they do not have a conical drill at the front. Uh, It tends to, at least at first glance, look a lot like flatter. It looks like a cross between an e-cigarette and a tapeworm. (laughs) Oh, two great things not to put in your mouth. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The Boring Company also promotes the idea of smaller tunnels. So instead of relying just on like enormous tunnels through which you put like a, you know, a four lane highway, instead uh, make a smaller tunnel with a one way, uh, one lane uh, uh, highway for one way traffic. Uh, As well, uh, this also factors into the various loop and hyperloop projects that uh, Musk is involved in. So, you know, I have to say a lot of that, especially when you're talking about, you know, looking into the future, a lot of that certainly sounds more like the subterranean we know and love. So at the same time, I think it all further underlines the realities of boring uh, that tend to limit these fictional visions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I should also note the boring company is actually building tunnels, so it's we're not just talking about a pure futurism project. Um, they have, I believe, three different TBMs, uh, all of them with with wonderful names. There's the Godot. There's the Line Storm, which I believe I read is named for. Um, uh, a robert frost poem or a line in a robert frost poem okay and, and then there's the proof rock oh j uh, alfred <laughs> proof rock yeah um the proof rock <laughs> which is, is is two words and in, in the, the the name here is one that's still in development okay uh but it wait, will be used soon
0: wait, why is it named the proof rock is it is it lying uh like a
1: patient etherized upon a table or is it Let's see. Um, I I think maybe it's just like the proof is in the. I don't know how deeply it is invoking the poem. It has Um, measured its progress in coffee spoons. (laughs) Well, whatever you know, we want to call them. um, These are some of the stats. The the line storm is said to be two to three times faster than conventional TBMs. Proof rock is supposed to be as much as ten times faster than conventional machines. And I I was reading about this in the publication Tunnel Insider, which I had never read before. I was not. I'm not a subscriber. To Tunnel Insider, but uh, as they put it in 2018, quote, if they and by they we mean um, the boring company, if they are able to pull this one off, it will mark a quantum leap in the history of tunnel boring technology and catapult the boring company to the pinnacle of subterranean engineering. These uh, these particular TBMs are also electric and are claimed to be three times more powerful than conventional TBMs. Uh, the boring company is still uh, going strong, it seems. Uh, in fact, I was reading that they recently finished a pair of Las Vegas tunnels ahead of a planned 2021 opening.
0: Well, more power to them. I mean, I I gotta say, just from a pure aesthetic sense, in addition to all the practical reasons for it, I I, I like the idea of relegating
1: transportation infrastructure underground. Yeah. Absolutely. It all makes sense to me. Uh, And it seems like they're making progress. Um, You know, of course, there are always questions in all of this, like, you know, you have to you're wanting to push the technology, but also it needs to be the affordable choice as well. Um, But, uh, you know, the the future uh, future remains to be seen. But uh, but uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. It seems seems like this might be the way.
0: Okay, Robert, are you
1: ready to talk about atomic battle moles? Yes, yes. Or alleged we, atomic battle moles. <laughs> I think it is time because we've we've spoken about the pure sci-fi. We've spoken about the um, the, 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 the actual technological history and, and our current uh, place uh, concerning TBMs. Let's start dealing with some of the murkier territory here.
0: Okay, so here we're going to dive into a bit of alleged Cold War crypto history, and, and we will have to warn you up. Front. The sourcing that's available in English on this subject, I think, is very murky, and there's a lot of uncertainty, possibly even, in fact, I would say more than possibly, I, I think quite probably uh, we're getting into some Edison-Louis Le Prince murder confession territory, if you listen to our invention episode on that, uh, where a possible hoax document or work of fiction is being misinterpreted by later writers as a factual report and then built upon
1: by embellishment. Uh, but with some major
0: caveats, uh, are, are you ready to dig
1: in? Yes, I do want to just throw in one quick nugget here. We're going to be talking about, um, about Russian uh, advances, advancements, or also, or um, alleged advancements. And it's worth, it's worth noting that, first of all, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs was very influential just around the world. Uh, but there was also a key uh, Russian sci-fi author by the name of Grigory Adamov, who wrote about subterrenes in Conquerors of the Underground in 1937. Oh, yeah, I was reading about this, and one of the
0: uh, articles that I'm going to reference in a minute here points out a hilariously machine-translated version of that title, Conquerors of the Underground, which is Winners of the Bowels. (laughs) Well, that's good. OK, OK. But yeah, what's the what's the prompting for all this? Well, a couple of years ago, you you might have seen a number of double take headlines running around the Internet about the Soviets developing a nuclear powered subterranean weapon during the Cold War. Uh, we can I know there, there was an article on like IFL science about it. There there's one we can check in with here uh, in our old arch nemesis, the Daily Mail. The headline is, <laughs> quote, revealed the nuclear power. Powered mole the Soviets built to burrow beneath America and deliver atomic bombs underground. Underground is in all caps. (laughs) Oh, yeah, this is a great headline. Right. So I was looking to trace back uh, to the source, some of the claims in this article. So this is not the main source of, the, of it, but I think it gets to the, the the core of some of what we're going to be looking at here. So there's an English article from June 2015 in an online publication called Russia Beyond the Headlines. Now it's just known as Russia Beyond, which is a multilingual arm of the major Russian state newspaper, Rossiskaya Gazeta. And I'm not generally really very familiar with rossyskaya gazetta russia beyond i don't have a very good sense of how generally reliable it is but this article is derived from reporting from a government-funded newspaper of the russian federation and it doesn't actually name most of its sources so i think we have to treat the claims in this article with an extremely heavy dose of skepticism Uh, Mm -hmm. that's not to say everything in it is necessarily untrue but I, i would not hang my hat on anything here But just so we can lay it on the table, let's at least look at what this article claims. So it talks about how during the middle of the Cold War, the Soviet premier Nikita Khrushchev ordered the construction of mechanized units that would be able to burrow underground to destroy military targets. And these might be underground bunkers or command centers or strategic missile launch sites or to destroy uh, underground communications infrastructure. And this hypothetical tunneling weapon that Khrushchev supposedly ordered the construction of would be known as a battle mole. So we're back to the moles again. Uh, now, one of the supposed advantages of the battle mole would be its ability to tunnel the targets deep behind enemy lines undetected and detonate charges or even to surface and deposit Soviet troops, sort of like an underground APC. So, was there any historical precedent for this? Well, the article claims that the first self powered underground military vehicle was designed by someone named Pyotr Raskazov in Moscow in 1904, but that this was just a design. It was never realized. He made some drawings, but the designs were lost around the outbreak of the First World War 10 years later. And then there were attempts to bring the project back in the 1930s under the Soviet Union. Again, according to this article, the person in charge of this effort to to revive the uh, underground battle mole idea was somebody identified in this article simply as Engineer Trebelev, which sounds like it's it it sounds like Kirk selecting a red shirt for the landing party in Star Trek, you know. (laughs) Um, uh, But Engineer Trebelev uh, wanted to, quote, design a machine which would look like a real mole. (laughs) No, no further explanation, though. Actually. I did find an article from from the 1950s that explains what this is referring to. I'll leave that as a surprise for a little bit later.
1: I mean, I would hope that the translation is a little off and the idea is that it, it functions like a mole and not that it just looks like one, though that's exciting in its own right. I mean, this is an English language article. This wasn't machine translated. Oh, okay. Well, maybe maybe it's just supposed to look like a mole then. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Wanted to design a machine which would look like a real mole. But eventually, you know, whatever happened here, the project fizzled. And so then uh, Nikita Khrushchev comes to power as the first secretary of the Communist Party in 1953 after the death of Joseph Stalin. And according to this reporting, Khrushchev was big into the idea of the battle mole and he strongly supported its redevelopment. So, you know, go out there, create the people's mole. And uh, supposedly there was a secret underground facility in Ukraine for developing pro- and producing these moles. And the first nuclear powered prototype for the battle mole was completed in 1964. Now, according to the article, this would have been a tunneling vehicle powered by an internal nuclear reactor like a nuclear submarine, which, uh, again, this would be an ideal power source for like any kind of long term stealth vehicle for the same reasons it's useful for like strategic ballistic missile subs. Right. Uh, You know, the, the nuclear power allows you to. Run silently for a long period of time without having to return and get fuel somewhere, and it doesn't—you know—it doesn't produce any emissions other than heat. So, it, you know, it's an ideal fuel choice. Just as a note of historical comparison, uh, the first nuclear-powered submarines—I looked this up—they were produced by the United States and the Soviet Union in like the mid to late fifties. I think the U.S. Uh, put out their first nuclear sub in, the, in 1955, and in the USSR by 1958.
1: Yeah, and and of course, there was just the overall atomic trend of of looking at ways to power various types of vehicles. I mean, there was a, there's the whole realm of the atomic powered aircraft, uh, right? But I believe Pluto, they were looking we at not, Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, that That's clear that we could do a whole podcast on that in the future, or uh, certainly the ideas of atomic powered automobiles and so forth. Um, so there, there was a lot of this line of thinking back in the, in the day. There was a lot of enthusiasm, enthusiasm for this, uh, this sort of power. But to, to defend the
0: idea here, like, I think the idea of nuclear power does make a whole lot of sense for, uh, for a vehicle like a strategic missile sub, because the whole mm-hmm. point is that it needs to go out there and be hidden and, uh, you know, the strategic purpose of it is that you don't know where it is and it's somewhere on the earth and it can be out there for a long time without coming back
1: to refuel Right. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, – we, we, I think we've discussed this on the show before. I mean, this is one of the, the key uh, parts of, uh, of uh, for instance, the United Kingdom's uh, nuclear deterrent.
0: Yeah. But uh, so back to this article from Russia Beyond. So other claims that it makes about this alleged battle mole. It says, quote, it had a stretched titanium cylindrical body with a pointed end and a powerful drill. It says the size would have been between 25 and 35 meters in length and – and then between three to four meters in diameter and its speed underground as its tunneling would be between seven and 15 kilometers per hour. Now, I am no expert on tunneling vehicles, I admit. So my judgment may be way off, but this is a huge red flag for me. This sounds really, really fast.
1: That sounds much faster than a snail to, to go back to uh, uh, Elon Musk's uh, 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 snail race. Right, this
0: thing can tunnel through the ground faster than some people can run. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Okay. But uh, the article also claims that, quote, the nuclear physicist Andrei Sakharov was involved with the creation of this machine, possibly with the development of the original soil crushing and propulsion system technology. The cavitation flow created around the battle mole's body reduced friction and enabled it to bore through granite and basalt. Uh, Again, I... I very much doubt if there's any truth to this association, Uh, but for those who aren't familiar, Andrei Sakharov is absolutely a very real and very important figure in 20th century history. Uh, uh, Sakharov was a Russian nuclear physicist who worked on the Soviet Union's nuclear weapons program in the late 40s and the 50s. He's considered in some ways the father of the Soviet hydrogen bomb, but he later became an activist protesting for civil liberties and human rights within the Soviet Union, and he received a Nobel Peace Prize in 1975. Hmm. Uh, I know he was not popular with the uh, with the Soviet government for his activism. At some point, I know he was sent into internal exile. Mm -hmm. um but anyway so back to the article so the article claims that the the battle mole took a crew of five people to operate and it could carry up to 15 paratroopers on top of that so again it is actually being alleged that this thing would bore in under the earth drill up to the surface and then let out a bunch of dudes
1: (laughs) yeah um it i mean it's it's straight it sounds straight up ninja turtles it sounds like i mean it makes me think of stormtroopers jumping out of one of these things right right uh or of course if it wasn't you know 15 paratroopers
0: it could deliver a payload of weapons or equipment or especially an explosive charge and this payload could be of up to a ton hmm. now uh here's here's the part where it gets really interesting the article alleges there was a secret plan for an underground strike on america which would be triggered it said if the united States, quote, deteriorated beyond a point. Uh, no further explanation there, but I guess the idea is like if, if the US is starting to look weak, then like this, these things could drill in. Uh, so, how would they tunnel underneath the United States? Well, allegedly, the plan was to bring them to the United States coast. Inside nuclear submarines, specifically to the California coast, and the California coast is singled out for its seismic instability. And then the moles would be released from underwater to tunnel into California and plant nuclear explosive charges under strategic facilities and fault lines.
1: Without being noticed.
0: Right. At all. And also this would this turn this attack, it alleges, would be a kind of false flag for nature, where the nuclear charges they'd be detonated, but it would just look like naturally occurring earthquakes and tsunamis all over the place. And it'd be like, I guess Mother Nature's just mad at us.
1: Oh uh, man. I mean this is there's so many sci fi possibilities just in this. Like the idea of say ultimately slow moving nuclear drill machines have been slowly making their way from the California coast to the Heartland, and then when they finally open up, you have all these like hideously atomic mutated right. <laughs> uh, paratroopers that emerge. Yeah, I mean, they're all so the
0: toxic f- Avenger now speaking Russian. Yeah. yeah, it's so much fun to even have with this concept. Uh, but anyway, so I've I've just got to read the conclusion here verbatim. Quote. According to some reports, test runs of the Soviet nuclear subterranean were carried out in different geological conditions, in suburban Moscow's soils, in the Rostov region, and in the Urals. Witnesses who observed the tests were most struck by the capabilities the submarine demonstrated in the Ural Mountains. The battle mole easily bit into hard rock and destroyed the underground target. However, a tragedy occurred during the repeated trials. For reasons unknown, the machine exploded deep within the bowels of the Urals, killing the entire crew shortly thereafter the project was shelved.
1: Oh, man, there's a whole, like, cool indie historic horror film concept right there. I, this doomed uh, subterranean that gets, uh, I don't know, eaten by chuds or something.
0: Right. Th- I think this would make a great movie, but I have serious doubts about this report. Like even if this were published by a source that I thought to be trustworthy. Again, I don't know much about the source and it is related to like a government funded uh, paper. Some of like my basic plausibility alarms are flashing red. Yeah but anyway, so back to like a lot of the 2018 circulation of the story that, uh, was going around in, you know, daily mail and all these places, it seems to trace back to an article in Jalopnik by senior editor, Jason Torchinsky, who to his credit does show skepticism about some of these claims, um, maybe more so than some of the derivative articles do, um, which, uh, but it tries to follow up on these claims by consulting some contemporary articles in Russian language sources. A lot of it machine translated though. Um, um, so it was Torchinsky, by the way, who pointed out that idea of the machine translation of conquerors of the underground being winners of the bowels. <laughs> <laughs> so he is the winner of the winner of the bowels, but, um, he, he develops on the assertion that, uh, this, this guy, I remember engineer Trebelev, that he wanted it to look like a mole. Uh, Torchinsky points out that this is supposedly, uh, because he studied x-rays of a mole skeleton in order to design the machine. That makes a little bit more sense. Okay. That does. Uh, and, will be further developed even more by another source I found. Uh, as for the reports of this 1930s model, there's all this vagueness in the sources. It's hard to tell from what's available how large Trebelev's model was supposed to be, whether it was crude, etc. Um, regarding the prototype built in 1964, Torchinsky turns up some more claims about how the project came to an end from the uh, Russian reporting in Rossiskaya Gazeta, which is apparently what that Russia Beyond article was sort of derivative of but here here's a, a additional detail machine translated of course quote However, during next tests in 1964, a car that penetrated the Ural Mountains near Nizhny-Tagil for a distance of 10 kilometers for unknown reasons exploded. Since the explosion was nuclear, the apparatus with the people in it simply evaporated and the broken tunnel collapsed. In the press was the name of the deceased commander of the battle mole, Colonel Semyon Budnikov. But official confirmation of this never sounded. The project was closed. All documentary evidence of it was liquidated as if nothing had ever happened. Uh, very conveniently here, right? So all physical evidence of this experiment is completely erased from the Earth. And then it gets even fishier and starts to get into territory where I'm, I'm wondering who's fooling who. So this is, again, from the Rossi skaya Gazeta report uh, explaining why the explosion happened. Quote, or maybe another civilization exists literally under our feet, and the guards did not want the Soviet mole to penetrate the forbidden limits. After all, the technical characteristics allowed the battle mole to reach the center of the earth. Therefore, a unique <laughs> underground machine was destroyed, and the mystery of the long-standing Soviet project is likely to never be fully revealed. Oh, I don't okay. know. <laughs> So the underground civilization might have sabotaged
1: it. Yeah, I, yeah, that, that doesn't sound
0: plausible. So, right. So there's definitely something wrong with this story. It, it doesn't mm. necessarily mean that all of the reports of historical Soviet battle mold development are untrue, though here I, I'm getting the feeling that a lot of these reports may be embellished. And this report about the 1964 vehicle specifically might be a complete or near complete fiction. So the next thing I was looking to was seeing if we can figure out about mid-century subterranean projects from, like, contemporaneous sources. Like, was anything published about it at the time that I can access in English and understand? And uh, so I did come across something. This was was linked through another source I found. There was a 1956, actually a December 13th, 1956 article in New Scientist called Russia's Battle Moles.
1: Oh, okay. Now we're dealing with a, a publication we can get behind. I mean, to an
0: extent, like now I don't necessarily (laughs) trust all of the claims in this article either, but at least it might give us a better idea of not necessarily what really happened, but what ideas were actually being discussed in the 1950s. Uh, You know, this isn't like a, you know, decades later source now we can find out whether or not the idea of these machines was actually in the air, regardless of whether or not they were actually built. Uh, And I will note, this is a very early article for new Scientist. It was founded a new scientist, I think was founded just a month or two before this article was published in 1956. Mm. Uh, But it starts off talking about how slow and labor intensive the process of tunneling is and how great it would be to have a machine. That's like a mechanical mole or an underground boat that can speed up the process of digging tunnels. And then they go on to report uh, an unnamed contemporary Russian technical journal that is describing the attempts of Soviet scientists to build a machine like this, um, something that would be able to independently drive around underground boring tunnels. And they uh, corroborate the idea that this research is based on biomimicry, the biomimicry of the mammalian mole. Quote, The investigation of moles technique was carried out in the Ural Mountains. Local hunters taught the Russian scientists how to catch moles. Then the lengths of the captured moles from tip to tail were measured. Next, the animals were allowed to burrow, and the duration of their task was timed with a stopwatch from the moment they started digging to the moment that the end of their tails disappeared into the earth. In this way, the speed of digging under various conditions was calculated. In clay, the mole burrowed at a rate of two. 234 feet per hour, and in Black Earth, 361 feet per hour. In some cases, even higher speeds were attained. The second part of the investigation was carried out in the laboratory. A box measuring 16 inches square by 8 feet long was used. The box was packed with clay soil and arranged in front of an x-ray machine. A mole was placed at the front end of the box, and it started to burrow its way through the soil in the box. By x-ray photography, a record of the mole's progress was obtained showing the movement of its muscles and skeleton okay so this is starting to become actually clear to me now
1: yeah i mean this is this is where we're again we're talking about biomimicry here we're say, we're talking about uh, scientists considering a problem, an engineering problem, and then looking for an answer in um, evolved biology.
0: Right. So they discovered that the mole digs by working its head and its paws back and forth along an axis in the front to to loosen the soil ahead of it. And then it moves the displaced earth out of the way and presses it up into the sides of the tunnel, sort of packing it against the edges of the tunnel with its uh, what, what they call its withers. I guess that's like the back of its neck and upper back area and with its shoulders, and then it continually applies forward pressure by digging in and pushing with its hind legs. And the article claims that this pressing out of the displaced earth by the strong withers and the shoulder muscles uh, of the mole is actually the most important discovery here. Because again, one of the biggest problems with, with drilling, tunneling, boring, whatever you want to call it, is how to deal with the displaced material as you go right the new scientist article goes on quote from the lessons learned with the mole the Russians built a mechanical model followed by a larger scale machine consisting of a cutter corresponding to the mole's head a worm for ramming loosened earth into the walls of the tunnel corresponding to the withers and propellers corresponding to the hind legs in the front part of the body of the machine is a powerful cutter made of hard alloy behind are the four propellers which push against the walls of the tunnel and move the machine Forward at a speed of 30 feet per hour. The cutter rotates at a speed of 300 revolutions per minute. For use in hard soils, the cutter can also be given hammer blows as it rotates. Uh, And it says, yes, this would have needed a human pilot to steer it. So the article claims that the machine was built and tested in the Ural Mountains in 1946. And Soviet engineers have, it says, made improvements in its speed and size since then. The article does not really, even though it's called Battle Mole, the article does not really mention military applications. Instead, it emphasizes how useful this kind of device would be for the kind of tunneling we were talking about earlier, like for mining or for urban engineering.
1: One thought that comes to mind thinking about this is... If, well, first, I mean, first of all, if you wanted to solve this engineering problem, like looking to the mole is is, is certainly one way to, to, to try and answer it, those questions, even if things might not scale up all the way. But in terms of a warfare scenario, it seems like this is the sort of thing that if you could pull it off would be very advantageous in – Older mo- modes of warfare, you know, like if you were right. dealing with with siege warfare, having a, a battle mole w- could really turn the tide. Yeah. Perhaps even in trench warfare, you know, where you have you know these hard fronts uh, uh, in these no man lands, you know, that I could see that being a factor. But is certainly, I don't know. Uh, people may disagree with me, but it seems like once you get into the World War II era and the post World War II era, the usefulness of this kind of uh, a vice even if you could pull it off becomes um uh, you know less obvious
0: yeah it's uh, i mean it, it seems much more useful in a world that doesn't already depend on air power yeah uh, you've already conquered the skies at this point now you you could say that well maybe that maybe an underground mole at least hypothetically could be more stealthy than air power i, I don't know i mean we have stealth bombers and stuff now but um
1: Well, you know, it reminds me of uh, the super secret weapon um, uh, of the Byzantines, the Greek fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did an episode on that. And one of the things that came out about it was that it was it was useful if you used it every once in a while under very specific circumstances. Uh, But if people were expecting it, uh, then it lost its usefulness.
0: Yeah, that it's like more useful as a kind of shock weapon than as like a a regular mainstay of how you win battles. Yeah. But anyway, so I I want to kind of put a bow on this issue of the the Soviet atomic battle mole. There there appears to be a very good skeptical and well-sighted dive into the issue of the atomic subterranean uh, from way back in 2012 at the Atomic Skies blog, and it's called the Atomic Subterranean. Uh, The author of this blog, I think, offers a very reasonable assessment of this weird and subject, in addition to a a very good write-up in general of uh, atomic subterranean ideas as they were explored in the United States, which, Robert, I know you're going to get into in a minute here. Mm -hmm. But uh, the author here, he he just goes by Mark, but he acknowledges uh, the claims we've talked about so far regarding the alleged Soviet atomic battle mole, and he concludes that there probably was a real Russian program in the 1950s to develop a conventional chemical powered tunneling machine known as an underground ground boat. But that the part about the atomic battle mole and Khrushchev's attack plan, uh, you know, attack the U.S. from below, that this is not just untrue, but possibly a prank gone wrong. Mm. Uh, So I'm going to read from his end note here, quote, I strongly suspect that the supposed nuclear powered prototype was an April fool's hoax by the Russian language, popular mechanics magazine. The Mm. first mention of it I can find online comes from the April issue of that magazine and the diagram they include incorporates what appear to be mechanical tentacles in any case, however, However, neither of these were a subterranean, but rather tunnel boring machines. And based on everything I've read, I, I think he's very possibly correct. In fact, I might even say probably. And if so... This would be interesting because we'd be again in territory, uh, I mentioned this earlier, like the territory of the Edison Murder Confession that we talked about in the Louis Le Prince episode of Invention, where something originally intended as what I think was a non-malicious, explicitly fictional document is later misinterpreted by a bunch of other writers as a legitimate news report. And this is why April Fool's articles should be exiled to Siberia forever, like no more. Of them ever.
1: I agree. And on that note, uh, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll discuss uh, uh, some of the US based research into the idea of a subterranean.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. If you haven't heard of Visible, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Get a one line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month
2: Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic. And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
0: Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. All right. So we think that these reports about the Soviet atomic subterranean and the the attack America from below plan that this is probably not true. It's, you know, it may be based on some actual research that took place, but the the overall story is not real. And this thing was never actually built or tested in the Ural Mountains, at least as best we can tell. Um, But that doesn't mean that the idea of an atomic subterranean was never seriously investigated at all.
1: That's right. Uh, So I, I too, was looking at that um, Atomic Skies blog post, and uh, I was also uh, looking at a piece by Steve Wentz uh, in The National Interest that that also cites that particular blog post. and yeah, the United States also looked into this technology, into this idea of a submarine. Uh, specifically, um, during the 1970s, Los Alamos National Laboratory explored the use of nuclear of a nuclear powered submarine. Uh, engineer Bob Porter was allegedly inspired by At Earth's Core uh, by the <laughs> uh, by the Burroughs novel after noting the 3,000 degrees centigrade temperatures of a prototype reactor in the 50s. And then a 1961 experiment by Potter showed that this sort of drilling could be possible. Uh, The resulting project was intended to produce a vehicle, quote, capable of penetrating the earth to depths of 10 kilometers to extend geological and geophysical exploration into the earth's mantle.
0: Now, the important idea here is that this subterranean envisioned by Potter here would not drill just through traditional boring, like a, a, you know, a drill bit or a bunch of drill bits that it would primarily work through melting. Right. Using the the superheating from either a nuclear or an electrical uh, source to to superheat something like some tungsten or something that would melt the rock away and allow you to just kind of like go through it like a hot knife through butter.
1: Yeah. In a way, it would be swimming through the earth it would be creating its own lava tube and sliding through it oh um, yeah yeah, so uh, it, I mean it's it's an ingenious solution, uh, you know, um or a potential solution. So uh, uh, apparently, though first of all, I, I do want to like you like you uh, mentioned earlier, I would I would encourage everyone to check out that Atomic Skies blog post because he also goes into a little more detail about this supposed uh, scenario where they were talking about it at a at a luncheon or at a diner or something. I think it was a bar. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bar and um and it, it just kind of uh, the, the idea of it was uh, got picked up by um, was it a it was a politician okay. this uh, like politician this, yes.
0: yeah the the scientists from the lab on friday were hanging out just like yes, having yes, drinks it. and talking about ideas that occurred to them and a uh, some politician i don't know if it was a u.s rep or a new mexico rep. some politician legislator walks in and overhears them talking about this subterranean idea and gets
1: really excited about it yeah he's like that sounds great let's fund it yeah and so they did <laughs> It got funded. Um, so it, apparently, in addition to mining, tunneling, and exploration, the, the project uh, also entailed this idea that the tech could be used to create storage cavities in the earth, in the deep earth, not only for toxic and nuclear waste, and we've discussed in the show before about how the, 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 the deep geologic isolation of nuclear waste is actually a, you know, a, a really supported idea, mm-hmm. but they also got into this idea of, of putting pressurized gases in these storage cavities That could then be unleashed to drive turbines for energy. It's an interesting idea. Yeah, I, I would not have thought of that, but yeah, that's pretty cool. So um, according to, uh, again, that National Interest article and the Atomic Skies uh, uh, blog post, uh, the it, everything kind of came together like this. So in 1972, the National Science Foundation funded a full-scale study of the nuclear subterrene. and then uh, small-scale electrically-powered p- uh, prototype drills were built, and one was used by the National Park Service to drill drainage holes at uh, Bandelier National Monument near Salamos the, the rock penetrator's lack of vibration, uh, this was a, uh, apparently essential to preserving an archaeological site uh, close by while the holes were being drilled. Yeah, and this, uh, th- this emphasizes, again, like some of the advantages that you would
0: have if you're just moving through rock primarily by melting rather than standard grinding, drilling stuff. Also, it's like you don't produce a lot of dust and, and uh, mm-hmm. pollutants from the process. There are many ways that melting down into the earth is a quite elegant solution for tunneling.
1: Yeah, I saw this referenced in uh, some of the other like tunneling and boring articles I was coming across. The idea of of creating a tunnel in your wake that is like lined in glass, you mm-hmm. know, again, it's like a lava tube, and therefore, you know, you you wouldn't necessarily have this issue of okay, we have all this leftover stone. What are we going to do? How's the how's our subterranean going to then turn that into blocks to reinforce uh, the, the wreckage it leaves in its wake. Mm so the sources here they point out that the um, according to the designs uh, two cutting head designs were looked at one for common rock and one for hard rock so you had a traditional rotary cutting head uh, with the cylindrical rock melters and then you also had one with dozens of nuclear powered needle probes <laughs> um, which is a pretty crazy idea like these are in a way these are like little tentacles they're almost like the tentacle, uh, you know the, the head of the star-faced mole right yeah where they uh, they kind of dig in and then but then they melt
0: right and this uh again it- wouldn't have necessarily like a conical tip it might be more like a flat disc type shape with the melting elements and then the
1: drilling elements yeah really more in line with traditional tbms in that in that respect Uh, and then they also mentioned that the probes would would uh, would unevenly heat the rock face causing it to crack and crumble so that would be an, an aspect of it as well um and then, yeah, I mentioned the glass walls. but So ultimately, the project transfers to the Department of Energy in 1975. And from there, it apparently mostly vanished. It would pop up again in the 1980s as a possible way to tunnel for bases on the moon. And this was apparently, this would have been 1986, and this was a proposal by one Dr. John Rowley.
0: Yeah, well, and, and two other co-authors, yeah. and They, oh, yes. they published yep. a paper about uh, excavating tunnels on the surface of the moon to shield colonists from the radiation that you would be be exposed to if you were trying to create a nuclear base or not a nuclear base sorry a moon base uh th- this is a very common problem when people talk about ma- making moon bases right you've basically just mm-hmm. got to get underground somehow and they called this idea not a subterrene but a
1: sub because it's the moon. oh nice yeah well I, I think that that in and of itself is a it's a pretty um elegant idea um you know you can certainly imagine your lander delivers uh the 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 subterranean or subsalene vehicle Mm -hmm. and then like that is necessary to burrow to safety um uh, yeah so, uh, in that Atomic Skies post, uh, uh, Mark also touches on a weaponized concept uh, that was discussed to use the technology. This would have been the radioisotope-powered thermal penetrator, or the the Riptp, <laughs> in which the machine quote would form a bubble of magma and hot, high-pressure gases behind itself when it nears the underground base. That is, you know, presumably the target here. The pressure of the gas and magma would burst the base walls explosively, destroying the facilities near the breach through blast and fire. Whoa. On that blog post he includes some uh, black and white ilus- co- two illustrations of what uh, these concepts would have looked like. You get to see those uh, those needles at the the front. There's also this image of, uh, of a tunnel that has been bored uh, of what this would look like this kind of glass line tunnel and it has kind of it looks kind of like a colonoscopy um, image you know <laughs> it, it has kind of a colonic uh, appearance uh-huh. Now another one of
0: the advantages that uh, that they talk about with respect to the rock melt. Versus just the traditional uh, drill type excavator, is that a rock melting model for a subtrain would allow you to to potentially create a tunnel of any shape you wanted. It wouldn't have to be a circular tube. It could be square. It could be triangular. You know, you can do anything.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Like especially if you're if you're trying to create a space for your moon base upon arriving you know for that you might want say a large cube uh space uh underneath the the lunar surface as opposed to just a whole bunch of tunnels to live in
0: right so i don't know yeah the 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 rock melting subsaline. I, i'm not sure that idea is forever done with maybe that'll come back someday
1: yeah i don't know because we've also we've discussed on the show before how there are concepts of building such bases in craters uh, mm-hmm. and, you know and naturally occurring um places to hide in the lunar surface so so i don't know um yeah i guess it basically we, we kind of leave this episode with still a number of questions you know like what 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 is the future of boring and tunneling uh here on the earth or even on other uh you know on moons and planets that we might go to and and what is that going to look like are we going to actually see subterrenes in the future you know i it, it's 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 hard to say but it seems like some of the the tunnel boring advances that are taking place today are encouraging of that um, i don't know if they're going to let um, elon musk uh, strap a <laughs> nuclear reactor to one of these things anytime soon but
0: well that's another interesting thing to point out which is that um so, obviously, there are lots of safety concerns whenever you have a nuclear-powered vehicle. I mean, this is the case with all of the nuclear-powered submarines and everything. Mm-hmm. But, fortunately, I would say nuclear power safety concerns are going to be lesser with a device that's being used to tunnel deep underground than they would be with a lot of other kinds of vehicles, right?
1: True. I mean, it's, it, like if it's it fails, self-burying. Yeah, if it fails, it's down there. Right. Uh, you know, not to say that 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 you know, an accidental nuclear detonation even underground is is ideal. Oh, but, no, no, no. You know, there, there are uh, it's better than other places. I'm
0: saying sure. like relative to an airplane or something.
1: Yes. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: Now, I guess another thing we should quickly acknowledge is that the Internet is also full of claims that there are subterrains all over the place. They're making tunnels under the whole world as we speak that are, you know, that are full of like the the Illuminati warriors and everything like it's I would say subterrains and underground tunnels are a very common trope of conspiracy theories. And oh, yeah, I wonder why that is. Why is it that specifically? underground enclosures <laughs> are, like, mm-hmm. such a common image in conspiracy theory thinking. It's like underground bunkers, hidden underground bases, tunnels. There's always tunnels. What? Why is that?
1: Well, I mean, I think part of it is that, I mean, these are really cool ideas. And I think a lot of conspiracy thinking does get into areas of taking things that are really cool and taking them too far. Uh, you know, taking them too far into an area uh, where you... You want to believe them so badly, and then you deal with the ramifications of believing that. You know, because like it's I,
0: interesting, it's therefore true. Yeah, yeah,
1: like yeah, the idea of the hollow earth. That's it's a very fun concept. I, I I love reading about how Edgar Rice Burroughs constructed this this world. But if you start buying into that concept, there's a whole lot of baggage that comes with it. And and likewise, if yeah, if, if you. If you want to believe subterraneans are real and uh, you know they're out there in the world burrowing tunnels and what are they doing for whom are they burrowing these tunnels and what are the results uh, well I know uh, the answer it's for Lord Kinboat. Sorry, that may be an X-Files, right? Re- oh, I just remembered you're not an X-Files person. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah, sorry, I was i am struggling okay. with that reference. Who's Lord Kinboat?
0: Oh, he's, uh, you know, he's the Lord of the Underground Realm from Jose Chung's From Outer Space. It's one of the
1: best episodes of all time. Oh, yeah, you reckon I need to watch that one someday.
0: Uh, he ends yeah. up, uh, Lord Kinboat reveals himself to a character who is named after Rocky Erickson and oh. who uh, who gets a visit from Jesse Ventura as one of the men in black.
1: It's just, it's, a, it's nonstop hits. <laughs> all right, yeah, I need to check that out. Well, um uh, well, this has been a fun one. Uh I feel like there have to be some really cool examples of subterrains in fiction that we haven't covered. And uh you know, if anyone out there is 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 more versed in even the conspiracy theory realm of subterrains, uh I mean, I'd love to hear about it. Uh you know, like like I say, the idea of secret underground bases and tunneling vehicles connecting them all. Like that's that's uh it's, it's pretty pretty fun sounding as as long as it doesn't end up obscuring your um, understanding of reality. Oh, if you can't get them out of your mind, write a
0: screenplay. Don't post on the oh. on the forums. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but that being said, like the re, the reality of like TBM technology and and the kind of work that's going on with the boring company, like that in of it's, in and of itself is really exciting. So, um, yeah, there's there's plenty of uh, of great stuff to go around just within the realm of truth here. Totally. All right. In the meantime, if you would like to listen to other episodes of stuff to blow your mind, you know where to find us. That is wherever you happen to get your podcasts podcast. And wherever that happens to be, just rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Those are just simple things you can do to help out the show. Huge
0: thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hi, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com.
2: Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible.